Hello, and welcome to Success Stories. I'm Kendra Hall, Chief Storytelling Officer at Success Magazine, and this is the podcast where we sit down with the brightest stars and the boldest thought leaders as they share their stories so you can create your own success story. And I'll be honest, I could have talked to today's guest for hours because there was just so much more I wanted to know. Here's a woman who seems to be doing it all and yet is completely aware that she can't do it all. Her story is for anyone who, A, wants to go big, as in take what you're good at and then go to the highest level possible, like the Super Bowl, literally, and B, for anyone who also believes there is more to life and more to success than just professional achievements. If you've ever found yourself awkwardly straddling those two things, you need to hear this story. Let's get to it. Today's success story is Samantha Ponder. Sports fans will recognize Samantha Ponder from her work on ESPN's Sunday morning kickoff show, NFL Countdown, as well as from her time as a sideline reporter for the network's college football and basketball coverage. Hers is the story of a young girl with a dream who took the bold steps to make it a reality, confronting her fears along the way. Now a working mom with three kids, she has endured online bullying and persevered, succeeding in a male-dominated field thanks to grit, hard work, and unwavering faith. Sam Ponder, welcome to Success. We're so excited to hear your story. Thanks, Kendra. That sounds exhausting. I mean, just <laughs> listening to that back, I was like, wow. I was, just, I was just going to ask you that, to say, how does it feel to hear your whole life flash before your eyes in an introduction? But oh, I mean, you we, we have a lot to cover here, but, but I want to tell a little bit of my story. I, um, I was trying to think back of when I first heard about you and I remembered what it was. It was a repost, like a friend of mine posted one of your, I think you were answering questions or something and, and she like screenshotted it and reposted it. And I can't even remember what the question was, but I do remember when you responded, it was, it was so, um, calm and level-headed and with such like introspection and clarity of thought. And I remember being like, who is this person? And then I started following you and seeing the work that you were doing. Now, of course we ended up running into each other because New York city is a small town, right? Yeah. But that was one of my, as we were putting this issue together, as we were putting the podcast together, you were one of the first people I thought of that we definitely want to hear your story. So tell me, Sam, tell me about, let's go all the way back. Okay. All these things that, that you're now doing, these things that you have accomplished. Did you always know that you were going to be doing sports broadcasting? Well, Honestly, yeah. I mean, I didn't know I was going to, but I knew that was the dream. Um, I think third grade was the the first time that I can think of that I really even processed um, that that was my dream. You know, when you're little, people always ask you the same, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I grew up in a sports family. My dad's a coach. I've got three siblings and everybody played sports. 
but none of it. It's not like my parents were pro athletes. My mom was kind of indifferent about sports. My dad was a coach, but never really played at a high level. So I was um, self-aware enough as a little third grader to realize like, you know, I'm one of the fastest kids in my school, but if there are faster kids in my little middle school in Phoenix, then uh, maybe, maybe I'm not going to be making a living off of playing sports, but I used to watch a show called NBA Inside Stuff with Ahmad Rashad and Summer Sanders, and it was on every uh, Saturday before big NBA games, and I watched how Ahmad Rashad would interact with the players, and he didn't use like a reporter voice or um, he didn't say anything that sounded too scripted. He was just talking to guys like equals and finding out, you know, really what you do, finding out their stories and telling stories. And that's what intrigued me even as a little kid. So if I told you that I thought I was going to be the host of a show on ESPN? Absolutely not. Like my, my goal was really just to cover the Phoenix Suns because I grew up in Phoenix in the heyday of the Suns and Charles Barkley and Dan Marley and all those guys. So that was really my goal. I didn't care if it was radio or writing. Um, I just, I wanted to stick around sports as much as I could. And the, that was the hometown team. So that would have been a big deal to me. But the rest of it has been so far beyond any of my wildest dreams that uh, it's been a crazy journey. Oh my gosh. I just, I, I, I love when it, I feel like those stories can go one of two ways, right? Where somebody's like, you see somebody who's so successful, they're doing this thing. And you're like, did you always know? And they're like, no, I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And now I do <laughs> this, this and this, but for you to know, so do you remember, tell me, do you remember, did you ever like, practice with hairbrushes um like when <laughs> like like interviewing people do you remember like practicing or some of those first maybe even pretend interviews that you did yeah I can't I mean well full disclosure my husband makes fun of me because I have the world's worst memory which isn't great when you work in sports and you're constantly needing to like draw on things that have happened in the past right um so I don't remember like specific instances I just remember always asking questions to the athletes I was around. So my dad ran this, he was a, a coach in, in college and in high school, but he also ran this inner city program where we had about 50 to 100 kids at our house um, or at the church down the street three times a week. And so I was around athletes all the time. Yeah. And so it was always about talking about their stories. I never really learned, and I didn't go to school for this stuff either. So I never really learned, um, like, this is how you ask a question, or this is the way to formulate. It was just, how do I draw out the most yeah. authentic version of the person that I'm talking to? And if that means, you know, trying to tell a joke or make fun of myself or just say, hey, I mean, when I would interview coaches after big games on ABC or Saturday Night Football, you got six million people watching and it's a halftime interview and you go up to a coach and if you read what they tell you in broadcast journalism school, it's like, don't ask this, don't say it this way. I didn't care about any of that. What I cared about was how do I get the audience at home to see the real um person that I'm trying to interview. That means if they're angry, I want them to show that they're angry. If they're frustrated, if they're excited, if they're like a little giggly because something great just happened and they're trying to keep it in, I want to bring that out. So even if it was as simple as just being like, how about that? 
you know, they would tell you in journalism school, like, that's not an appropriate question to ask someone. But I didn't care because I knew my goal was for the people at home to see um, the real emotion of the moment. So I, I didn't really have practice, if you would yeah, say, yeah. other than having real conversations with real people, you know, since I was a kid. So when did this, when did this become like, so you said you didn't go to school for journalism. So let's talk about that. But when did this become a real thing? Like what was your very first where you were like, I did it. I'm doing the job I've been (laughs) wanting to do since I was in third grade. What was that? Well, to be honest, so I went to Central High School here in Phoenix and uh, a big uh, inner city high school. And at our senior graduation, um, I wrote a, a speech. I definitely was not valedictorian, so I was not asked to speak because of that. But um, <laughs> I wrote a speech in this like contest, and whoever won the contest got to give their speech at graduation. So I'm giving my speech at graduation, and the principal of the school stands up on the football field in front of these thousands of people. And I had made it known to people what I wanted to do. Um, the crazy thing is we didn't have cable TV, so I technically didn't have ESPN my entire life, but I wanted to be on ESPN, yes, which is yes. kind of wild. But uh, my principal at the time is introducing me to come on to the stage to give my little speech, and she says something to the effect of, in five years, you'll see Samantha Steele on ESPN, and I remember thinking, oh, crap. Five years is not very long. (laughs) That means, like, I was like, it might take me five years to get through college. Like, I I don't know how this is going to work. But I will say now, in hindsight, it was almost like she was, like, calling me out, you know, like, in a a good way, in a way that was saying, like, we, we have high expectations for you, not because we're, you know, just trying to give you an impossible standard, but we believe you can do this. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was the first time in a public setting that I felt like, all right, here we go. Like, let's just go for it and and see what happens. So two months later, after high school graduation, I moved to New York City on my own. Uh, No money, just a few credit cards that had like $250 limits. That's all you uh, need. That's all you need. That's all you need. People are always like, do you have advice? I'm like, I went into some serious debt. So I don't know if I, (laughs) like I was just surviving on Wendy's coupons and forever 21, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I didn't really, from the time that I graduated high school to when I got my first internship at ABC in New York, I think it was four months which is just crazy. But, but you know, that's New York. Like you meet somebody who knows somebody. I just wanted to be in the mix. And I knew if I moved to New York city, it may not work out and I could always come back home, but I knew I would be in the mix. I'd be developing relationships. Um, so that's kind of how it all got started. You know, I hear so many people because now, you know, I'm in New York city. I didn't move when I was just out of high school though. I should have but I didn't. I didn't think about it. I waited until I had two kids and, you know, a whole life already. Sure, why not? And I was like, how about this? Why don't we just go? <laughs> um, but I, I think this, is, this isn't one of the questions. It's on my post-its, on my computer. <laughs> but I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you get asked a lot, or I'll hear the stories from other people about like, oh, I wish I had moved. I wish I had moved to New York. Like, what would you say to somebody who maybe has that in their heart? Yeah, if it's in, you do it. I mean, I tell people this all the time because there's so many people where it is not in them. 
Like mm-hmm. you, you should not kind of force your, I actually had a friend that did this, um, who, you know, she would see the magazines or like watch the Christmas movies and be like, Oh, New York. But it really, there was nothing gnawing at her and she yeah. moved there and she moved back a week later. Oh God. <laughs> if it's not in, and I mean like fully moved, if it's mm. not in you, if it's not gnawing at you, then it's not for you. Like it's not, I'm not one of those people that's like, New York is the best city in the world for everyone. Like, no, mm, there no. are some people who should live in a suburb or live in a small town. Like you kind of know in your heart if that's in you. But I would say that I wouldn't want to be a person that has those regrets if that is in me. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if it, my husband and I talked about this, cause I had lived in New York the first time for almost four years by myself as a single 18 to 22 year old. And then, and that was one, one experience. Right. And then after my husband and I got married, we had two kids at the time. Now we have three, but he was transitioning from one season of life to another. And I had a job up in Connecticut and and he had that gnawing in him. You know, he had that, like, he'd always lived in a suburb and kind of like outside of different cities. And he was like, man, I wonder, you know, I wonder what it would be like. I'm like, well, shoot, let's go. And we did it like that. Like you can't, I think if you just let it sit for a while, eventually be like, well, we have this and the dogs and the house and all that. We just kind of made a snap decision. We moved into a place we'd never even seen in person. <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that. Yeah, um, but I think if it's in you, you, you go do it. And if it doesn't work out, you can always go back. Uh, I think this is, and I think that's a great message, whether it's about New York City or, or not. Like, I think one of the things as I've watched you is you do, you just go and you do the thing. And that, that's not to say, which we'll get to this, like the setbacks that you've had, but you had that, you know, your principal announced you and said in five years, you'll be on ESPN. And you didn't, from what I can tell, you weren't like, oh, God, oh, I don't know. You were like, oh, okay, well, how do I do that? I moved to New York City. <laughs> like, you know, like that is, and I think that's the kind of, I think some people maybe have that mentality, but if you can work towards that mentality, like what a valuable perspective to take. So, so let me ask you this. We, you mentioned your, and then we'll get back to work, but you mentioned your family, your husband, you have three kids. She, at the time of recording this podcast, two of her children are still in diapers. And maybe in diapers forever with the way potty training is going. So please pray for me. You know what I always said to myself? I always said to myself, I'm like, well, they can't go to prom in diapers. Like at some but point. can they? Can they? Because I'm starting to wonder. If they have to. If they have to by then, maybe somebody. That should be something you do is invent the teenage diaper. Um, <laughs> and then you're set. You I know, know we're all headed there anyway. It's how we start and finish. So we, might yeah, well we, just, it all out. we just don't have anything in the middle, right? We have the, we just need, we need it for those middle, we need it for those middle years. But tell me, so your job is, is intense. Um, you are, and I know that, I mean, even just listening to you here, I know that you take it very seriously. Uh, you are a wife. You take that very seriously. We can, we can talk about that. could be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, a mother. So, so I know that some of our listeners do struggle with this. How, do you, how are you excellent in all those really key areas of your life? Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I'm not excellent in all those areas, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. 
you know? And that's what I want to be. I want to be someone that just like doesn't have expectations for myself of perfection in every area that understands that life is seasonal. Like right now I am in a season, like you mentioned, where my kids are little and they need constant attention, not because they're needy emotionally, but because they need to survive. Like we're in a season where we're keeping kids alive, you know, (laughs) and that requires a different level of, of presence than it probably will in a few years when they're all in school and I can use those hours of the day to focus on other things. Um, I think understanding how seasonal life is has really helped me in my job. For me, in this last season, it meant stepping back from a lot of work stuff. I still host uh, NFL Countdown on Sundays in the fall, but there were a lot of, I mean, Kendra, you know this in, in your industry too. I think a lot of times, the word uh, opportunity or the word exposure is used um, as a, as a cell, right? Like this is more opportunity. This is more exposure. And on the surface, that always sounds great, like awesome, but it will cost you something. It will always cost you something, even if it's for great money. Um, And I had to realize that in my life, in this season, the words opportunity and exposure for me were often really just code words for distraction. Because right now my biggest goal is yes, I want to provide for my family. Yes. I love my job. And when I'm at my job, I am all there. Like when I'm hosting countdown, it doesn't matter if I have one of my kids with me at work, which happens from time to time, but I am, I am zoned in um, on work. I, I believe in the concept of being where your feet are. But I also have had to make other decisions with the rest of my time in an industry where, you know, they're so used to hearing yes. Everybody says yes. Do you want to do this? You want to be on TV more? You want more exposure, more opportunity? Yes, 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 yes. And we're, we're taught, especially in this generation of women, yep. and I, I believe in a lot of this, to always, you know, lean in, say yes. And generally speaking, I, I agree. But I think for each person, you have to make that decision depending on what you really want in that season of life. And what I really want in this season of life is to be a present mom, someone who's there not to just like take kids from one thing to the next, but to be there for the margins, the downtime, which we all know we've had a a different level of downtime in this (laughs) season uh, with all that's going on. So yeah, I, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think I do. I don't think I'm excellent at any of it, but I am content. You know, yeah. I, I am not, I'm not perfect in any way, but I'm not afraid to fail at any of these things in small ways. You know, yeah. I just don't want to fail in the big ways. No, I think that's, and I think that right there is the expression of your excellence. Like that it isn't a matter of being, it, it's knowing when to, knowing when to say no and accepting that and like honoring that. Can you, was there, did you ever have an instance? I know I had, I'd have a serious, my husband had to have a like serious sit down with me and, (laughs) and talk to me and say, listen, every time you've, you say yes to this or that or this or that, you're saying no to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was, did you ever have, have you ever had to have some of those conversations where you realize maybe you maybe you did say yes too much. Yeah. I mean, the entire first decade of my career, everything, I shouldn't say everything, you know, I I would say no to something that I thought was like morally questionable, but if it was like, 
you know, anything sports related that wasn't, you know, I don't know, shady, then my, my answer was yes. And I realized when I was, when I was, when I had my first daughter, I was on a show called College Game Day. And for, for game day, I traveled five days a week, every week. And then I did basketball right after that, Tuesdays and Saturday nights in two different cities. And then I would, and that was college basketball. And then I would go to the NBA and do playoffs after that. So I was on the road. I don't, I don't even want to think about how many days a year yeah. I was on the road. I was never home. And my husband was playing in the NFL at the time, and he only had Tuesdays off. So we saw each other one day a week. Uh, for our first two years of marriage. And when I got pregnant with my daughter, I was like, well, shoot, I'm just going to bring her with me. So my daughter was on over a hundred flights before she turned one. And at the time, you know, it, it was all I knew. I'd never had a kid before. It's not like I didn't realize how strange that was. And other than like grandma's giving me weird looks on planes for the most part like we were good but then I got pregnant with my second and I was still on college game day at the time and doing the big ABC games on Saturday night and I'm like how am I gonna I didn't have a nanny my mom would fly and meet us in some cities but half the time I would just have my kid in a stroller like to the side of the set I mean it was a disaster but it was all I knew Um, but I I remember when I found out I got pregnant with my my second, look, I, I knew that something had to change. Like it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a question of when it was how I knew it had to, to start right then. And I'll say this, like, I look back now and I feel like my second child saved me from the hamster wheel. Like I was just on that wheel, like, all right, yes, I'll do this next thing. I'll do this next thing. And what I did is I started asking around to older women in my industry who have children and Kendra, I'm telling you 10 times out of 10, they would all say, I have so many regrets. I miss so many birthdays. I miss so many holidays. I wish I, not one of them said, I wish I would have said yes more. I wish I would have done more work. I wish I would have traveled. And these are women who or at the very top covering Super Bowls and NBA finals and Olympics and all that stuff. And not one of them ever said like, Oh, keep grinding. Like keep, right. That doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. Like when I'm working, I'm working hard. Yeah. But I, th- these years, I, I'm just not going to miss them. I just yeah. decided like I'm, I refuse to have those regrets. I may have regrets in other areas. I'm sure I will, but these are not the regrets I want to have. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's, it's interesting to, uh, that success, that why, what, what good is that level of success? If there's so much sadness associated with it, like I would rather, I would rather play at the top of my game and still have everything I want, all that balance. Um, but it's hard. It, I mean, it's hard. I know we, yeah. I, it's, it's a hard thing to do. Okay. So let's talk about this. Um, you, uh, you know, it just sounds like it would be easy to say, like, it just sounds like you kind of went and you were just like, went on this like dream ride and suddenly you have <laughs> your dream job. I would imagine there were some setbacks professionally along the way, like moments where you were like, ah, oh, or something didn't go as you thought. Can you tell us about any of those setbacks, moments that, I mean, I don't think we ever class, 
classify anything as a failure, but like those real learning moments. Can you think? Yeah, of I'm fine with saying that. I yeah. actually, Kendra, I, and this is something that I've come to realize recently. Like I'm fine with saying failure. I think we've, we've made failure this like scary F word. Yes. <laughs> and so everyone's yes. like, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. Like, yeah, especially being in sports, I think it's helped when you think yeah. about like for a baseball player, you literally fail the majority of the, the, the time that you get up to swing and you can still be a hall of famer. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, when you think about some of this stuff, like we've created this monster out of failure that I think is, um, is actually really damaging and not good for children. Like kids need to learn how to fail at a really er early age. And, um, my parents did a good job of allowing that in a controlled environment. So I think that was one of the things that helped And early on. I mean, look, when I was living in New York city on my own and just like, going from meeting to meeting, like, let me talk to this, let me give my pitch to, which really wasn't much of a pitch at all, but like, you know, it was just try, try, try. And I would never get calls back, you know, right, like the right. nine times out of 10, nobody would call back. It's funny you asked this because I was actually just this morning, since I have now organized my entire house during the coronavirus. Um, good, I was it's going good. Through, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are very organized <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, but I was looking through some old journals you know, I just went down that, like, yeah, it's, it's dangerous because so I've yeah. been a journaler my whole life. And to read back, I'm like, this girl is a hot mess. Like, <laughs> why are you so dramatic? You don't even know his last name. Why do you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but I was reading some of my journal entries from when I first started out and it was like, went to this meeting, you know, I was all concerned about like, should I wear this or should I say this? I think I said the right thing. He didn't call back or this guy said something rude or this, you know, it was just all of this one thing after another. I tried, it didn't work. I tried, it didn't work out. Um, even the, the jobs that I did get early on that um, were very exciting to me, like when I worked at Longhorn Network, when that was launching in Austin, I was sleeping in my car in a Whole Foods parking lot. Like it wasn't exact. And then going on TV at night, oh like, hey, look at um, But it was, it was a journey. And I look back now and I'm like, what was the rush? Because then I got all those things that I thought I wanted, right? Like the husband, the kids, the house, the cars, the job, the, you know, uh, people telling you things you want to hear, all that. And it didn't fix any of those root issues that I was writing back in my journal when I was 19, you know? A lot of that stuff was just distraction from me dealing with my real issues. So I'll say this, like, I wish that as a young person, I would have been, um, and this maybe sounds weird to say, but I would have embraced failure more and let myself kind of sit in it for a second and ask myself, like, why does this bother me? You know, like, what do I, what am I trying to earn by this person approving of me if it's some executive at a network or whoever it is? Yeah. Um, and why does that matter so much to me? Because when I ended up getting that ultimate approval, it, none of those issues went away. So that clearly wasn't actually solving the root, like sickness or illness that was in me, it was just kind of covering up some of the symptoms and making it all more glossy. And when you're on TV, you know, doing a big game or whatever, everyone assumes like, oh, well, you've made it, you've made it. And actually for me, there were areas in my life that were more miserable having quote unquote made it than they were back when I was sleeping in my car. So, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's such a, it's a, it's a weird thing for me because I, I'm not encouraging people to fail. Like I'm, I know none of us want to fail, but I wish I would have um, wrestled with it more instead of just trying to avoid it.
Because you, 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 I mean, you do, you learn so much in, you learn so much in failure and to think about like, okay, so what, what did that mean to me is, was it a positive thing? And that's why I'm so upset about this. Didn't not going well, how can I get better? Or was it not something that I even needed? If we don't fail, we don't. Yeah. You, you mentioned people telling you just what you want to hear. Well, how do you ever, how do you ever get better? Um, so, so let me ask you this. I know that you are, I mean, you're definitely in a male dominated industry. Have there, have there been moments for you, uh, with that experience that, that are on your heart to share that you would want to share? I want to start there. Well, I'll say this, there has been a major shift and, um, you know, I can't speak for any other male dominated industries, but I know this in, in sports, um, for obvious reasons, when I was coming up, it kind of, it lended itself to being a frat house, Mm -hmm. if you will. And there were so few women, um, you were kind of immediate, like I never wanted to be a sideline reporter. That wasn't something I desired. Like I wanted to do kind of like deeper, longer interviews, do feature stories, um, host a show, that kind of thing. And when you're coming out of college and you're young and, you know, excited, they automatically at the time would just, nobody ever asked me like, do you want to be a sideline reporter? It was just, that's where the young women go, you know, like that's the spot that you're kind of, put into. And I will never, you know, I always have to be careful because I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I have. And I realized too, and this is where it gets tricky. I realized that I got that job early on in ways that probably a male peer of mine of my same age wasn't getting his foot in that door. Now they get different opportunities, but I, I want to make sure that I still realize, um, the privilege that that was to even have that job. But at the same time, be able to say like the way things were back then, the stuff people would say, the lack of, because in sports, I I don't know about other industries, but in sports, it kind of carries over the locker room feel Mm -hmm. where like, because they're on a field and they're around athletes. And a lot of them are former athletes that you work with. They start talking like that. And I have seen since the Me Too movement and all the changes of the past few years, just in terms of awareness, um, there has been a huge shift. And some of it's out of fear. Like, people don't want to get in trouble. And I think Mm -hmm. some of that's good. Like, that's the reason we have laws. You know, you need to have some sort of standard to deter people who would do it without that, um, that don't have that integrity. But, um, yeah, I mean, I dealt with a lot early on. I'll say this, Kendra. I... It was really important to me to start my career intentionally as a a woman. And I mean, when I say that, I mean, I thought about what I wore. I thought about the things I said. And some of it's unfair. Like, should I have had to be like, hey, is this dress or this shirt going to give the impression that I'm not serious or I'm some of it's unfair things that guys don't have to think about at all but I also knew the reality of the um, circumstances I was walking into and I wanted to make sure that to the best of my ability I was sending the message that I was here because I love sports <laughs> like, and yeah. that's it like yeah. I, I love people and I love sports. Like there was no ulterior motive. I wasn't trying to like, let me try and be famous or become some other thing in entertainment. Like I just wanted to, to talk about sports and that helped. 
a ton because really early on, there were still some really shady people. And I mean, from executives to coworkers to whatever. But I will say the vast majority of the men I have worked with have treated me like a sister. Um, and I, I genuinely appreciate that because I know that's not everybody's experience. Yeah, I think that... I think that is what what you said right there. Like you, there are, there are rules that are written or on, like I have, I have my own set of rules of what I wear and how, you know, like that there and whether they're fair or not, I'm like, well, tell me, you know, if, as long as I know what those unwritten rules are, I can work with them. Like, yeah. and, and, and I love that, that you came and I'm sure they felt that in your heart too. Like people can feel that, that you were there because you loved sports. So tell me, what's one of your proud, I want to hear, like for all the different, like I just think about your work and how much of it is people like the, like cheering and the excitement and, <laughs> and just like all of it. Like what do you remember one of, like what are one of your favorite memories, either in general or like one of those memories where you were like, this is, this is it. Like, this is my, this is what I've been called to do. Like one of those euphoric <laughs> moments. Do you, do you have one? So there have been a lot of cool moments because I've gotten to do some really cool stuff. I mean, hosting the Super Bowl this year and doing a four hour pregame show before the Super Bowl um, in Miami was, was really fun. But when I think about, um, the things that really mattered to me, like the things, the moments where I was like, what is this? Um, it all has to do with relationships. So like one of the first things that popped in my mind was um, one of the best feelings I ever had as a broadcaster would be when a head coach before a game or sometimes after and I'll spare their name so I don't embarrass them, but like these big time, you know, they're playing in a national championship type coaches would bring up their daughters and they would introduce me to their daughters and say like, this is, this is someone I want you to follow. And can my daughter hang out with you for the game? Like whenever I could see that I had earned um, some respect from someone that I admired that was at the top of their game, but still really cared about the voices and influences in their daughter's lives and created those connections with me. That was always really important to me. And then the most recent one was I had to take my five-year-old to work. We had some scheduling conflicts, my husband and I, and I had to at the last second take her to Connecticut with me for countdown this last year. And if you don't know who Randy Moss is, he's a Hall of Famer, just like one of the biggest personalities, and he's on our show. And Randy, Randy is a character in all the best ways. But um, you know, a lot of people would assume that someone like Randy is just about Randy and cares about his stuff. And during a commercial break, I told you when I'm at work, I'm all in on work. Well, my daughter Scout was sitting to the side of the set and I had like her headphones and like, no matter what, you do not walk onto the set. This is live television. Uh, please do not have a random question about, you know, Scooby-Doo right now. Like this is not time. And during commercial break, I didn't see Randy. And uh, after, I didn't think a thing of it. After the show, uh, my daughter comes up to me and she talked to me for probably five minutes straight about how Mr. Randy came up and hung out with her during the commercials 
to talk with her about Paw Patrol. This guy, <laughs> Super Bowl winner, Hall of Famer, was spending his commercial breaks hanging out with my five-year-old in the corner. And that might not sound like a big deal to people, but for me, it mattered so much that my work family cared about my real family. And um, because that's what I really desire as a worker is to be seen as a whole person, like not just a broadcaster. I am a mom and a human and a woman. And um, that was kind of a sign to me that he was like, hey, uh, I'm with you. You know, like it's not just about what you say when the, the light goes on. So that was that was really special to me. Oh, I love that. Oh, and, and yeah, and to, but you didn't get to see them talking to each other because you well, were... somebody took a picture later. So I have a picture of it now. They sent it to me because they thought it was cute. I mean, it's this like huge guy talking to this <laughs> tiny girl. And you can, she, I mean, she's got all the confidence in the world. So the, she doesn't know anything about Randy. She calls him the Paw Patrol guy. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm thinking about because I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, so I oh, okay. I have lots of memories of Randy Moss, and I'm just picturing like that. Okay, so one, just a few more questions, and then I'll let you go. Um, who is someone whose story inspired you, but mm. they maybe wouldn't know it? Oh, wow! So I know a lot of people. Um, you're, does it need to be someone in my industry or it can be anyone? No, anyone. And in fact, outside even is, is good too. Yeah. Um, so the first person I thought of was my mom because my mom, uh, for 30 years was married to my dad. I told you my dad's a coach. And so my mom kind of like went along with the sports world cause my dad was a coach, but my mom didn't actually really care about sports. And, and about 30 years in of her, I mean, sacrificing in so many ways to raise us, my mom's really smart and knows a ton about world affairs, has traveled the world and been in Calcutta with Mother Teresa and, you know, was like undercover in Moscow, and like in the USSR, like crazy stories. I call her Carmen San Diego. But um, <laughs> so she, after 30 years, she used to say, actually, I think it was 35 she just decided all of us kids moved out and uh, all went on to college, started having our own families. And my mom just decided she wasn't going to do the typical like retire, you know, just go on trips and kind of hang out. And there's nothing wrong with that, but she right. just decided that wasn't for her. So my mom has been living half of the year, every year uh, for the last like six years, um, back and forth between Phoenix and the Middle East and teaching kids now she uh two years ago went to seminary to learn to uh read hebrew and greek so she's now and she's in her mid-60s and the reason her story is so valuable to me is because my mom didn't have like a special upbringing you know she's had a really normal childhood um and got married young and had kids young but she just um she just decided her story wasn't over when everybody kind of coasts, my mom like took things into another gear and expanded her mind and is meeting all different sorts of people and connecting people who would never connect and stretching her mind in ways she hadn't before. So my mom, um, her story is inspiring to me because I always, there's always something in me, Kendra, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like, what if I could have a whole new life after this? Like I've done that. I'm like, 
now we're gonna i told my husband the other day and maybe it's just because things are so crazy and political right now or i've been watching too much madam secretary but i'm like what if we moved to dc and like just started working in policy he's like what are you talking about but and not that i'm gonna do that but i think people like my mom inspire me to know that like it's never over it's not mm-hmm. over till it's over you know that it's never too late to start a new dream and uh, connect with new people that aren't in the circles you already run with, that this world is so big and there's so much um, connection and, and love to be had that um, she, she was the first person I thought of. Oh my gosh. I, and I love what you said that she just decided that wasn't her story or the story wasn't over. Like that you do, like you get, and, and I think if, any, if I learned anything from this conversation is I, and being a storyteller myself is your ownership of your story, your belief in your ability to own your story and, and that it is fluid, but that you like, you've gone with it. You've had that great example with your mother and yeah, I'm excited. Don't move to DC that we need you to come back to. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I have one of those ideas approximately every hour. So if you understand my husband's pain now, he's like, no, we're not moving to Australia tomorrow. Sam. <gasps> I did. We went and visited right before the pandemic. We went and visited Paris and I, we left and I was like, let's move here. Oh, I, oh, I, for sure. I've looked on like all these like websites looking like, what is an apartment? In? I'm like, I can learn French. I'm the same way. And now he's like, and he knows he has to be careful because I, uh-huh. I might actually do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sam, uh, tell us where we can find you. Oh, um, right now I wanted to be like in my closet hiding from my children, but you mean on social media. Um, I'm in the closet. This is the, this is the closet. You said closet diaries. That's what we're going to call it. Closet diaries. We should, yes. we should start a show, actually. Yes, I like this idea because that means more time in my closet. <laughs> um, I am, I'm just on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, I'm Sam underscore Ponder, which is so annoying when you have to use the underscore, but I was late to the game. So, you know, it is. I had to use an M. I had to use an M in the middle of mine. I was like, Isn't Kendra M. Hall. Like, <laughs> it's a big, you know, a first world problem. Yes. But, yeah. um, and then on Instagram, I'm just Samantha Ponder. And I heard that we will see you back for another season this fall. Is that true? That is true. Everyone is stuck with me on <laughs> Sunday NFL Countdown for a little while longer. So I'm, uh, in all seriousness, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really hoping football starts on time and we get a little bit of that normalcy back. I, I agree. Well, Sam, thank you so much for sharing your stories with success. Thanks, Kendra. We'll see you soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, look up an inch or down an inch and check out all of our previous discussions. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are sold. And of course, check out the latest issue of Success Magazine by heading over to success.com slash subscribe and get more inspiring stories like this delivered right to your front door. Be sure to give us a review on Apple iTunes and you can find me at KindraHall.com or on Instagram at KindraHall. That is Kindra with an I. I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell. Until next time.